0: Making a no-budget film It's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur storming the beaches with the force of a hundred thousand soldiers. Instead, you're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines, trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. The odds stacked against you. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. My
1: my rain gutters started flooding, and so I got this idea because it was coming down on the on the front porch. So I was like, I'll just get a stool and reach up in there and start pulling leaves out. And
0: right, right,
1: gutter water came down and got all in my hair. Oh no! uh, Yeah, and then it was breakfast time. Then we started watching SNL, and um. Yeah, about a few hours I, later, I remembered I had, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm covered in dirty gutter water. I should go clean up. Uh, so,
0: I'm not sure which is worse, though, covered in gut, dirty gutter water or watching SNL these days.
1: It has its moments, you <laughs> know. Yeah.
0: I've got to be honest, man. I, I have not had any interest in that show in a long time.
1: Yeah, it, what I've noticed is the, um, the jokes don't have, I don't want to say like a punchline, because I don't need like a punchline, but it's like they don't resolve. Like they're just weird. It's like... Every uh, sketch is just kind of, hey, look at this weird situation. Here's some weird yeah. characters. This guy's yeah, like, weird too. We're done. You're like, what was that?
0: Yeah, it's it's like everything is is sort of uh, dipped in absurdity, which I generally like, you know. Yeah. But but it doesn't really pay off, and it's and like when I watch SNL now, all I think of is like these are guys who grew up on Jimmy Fallon, laughing at every joke and thinking that was hilarious.
1: Yeah, it could be. I I do think also a little bit of the. Um kind of adult swim uh tim and eric absurdity that they try yeah. to do some emulation of that you know like i'm i'm gonna you know that, that weird stuff that's what's that's what the kids are into you got to be innovative and and uh you know it's that that style of humor that uh, tim Heidecker and eric Wareheim do is it, it is a Eric Andre, another one, kind of right. in that style, and it's it's a Mighty uh, Bush. it's a thin line. Well, Mighty Boosh, I feel like their their humor at least is a little more coherent. There's still some traditional, you know, sure, comedic sure, sure. rhythms in Mighty Boosh, whereas Eric Andre, Tim and Eric, uh, they they're they're just absurd, but they're bringing out the absurdities of uh, mainstream. You know, every commercials, TV shows, sitcoms, all that stuff. They they kind of uh, they don't exactly do parodies of it. It's like they do exaggerations of it, and um, it's it's not for everyone. But I, I do think that some of the some of the mainstream comic venues like Saturday Night Live now are kind of having this "Hey, we can do that too" sort of vibe. And they I don't right. think they can.
0: I I just get this impression that they're less they're less of that season stage comedic actor and they're more like we're young crazy fun guys and eventually you could see us in movies it's it, adam sander or, or andy sandberg is a great example of like yeah. the archetype in which modern snl casts seem to be molded around
1: yeah they they it's like uh yeah they're kind of they're kind of unusual but they're not exactly freaks like they're too safe to be freaks like the guys on right. swim and stuff and which it brings me around to today is we have a topic today and it's, you know, we've, we've talked a lot in the past about how horror cinema is kind of the place where the, where the freaks live, you know, in That's Hollywood, right. you know, it's, it's the place for the kind of the outcasts and the weirdos. And today we're going to take that even one step further as we get into that crossroad of horror and music, you know, not even, right. some of them are going to be musicals. Some of them are going to be horrors that just kind of had a real uh, music inspired, you know, theme and uh but uh yeah that's this is this is an episode where the horror films we talk about today are going to be even freakier and weirder than any of the ones we've talked about in the past
0: that's right that's right and and the connection between horror and music and in particular like horror and metal it goes back so far um when i was growing up i remember my i had an uncle who was just a few years older than me and he had a vhs tap tape of raising hell the iron maiden live concert did you ever see that
1: uh no i haven't seen that one
0: it's fantastic first off the quality of it's great it's right at the peak of iron maiden in their heyday and they had a magician simon drake do these sort of um uh interstitials where he would do a magic trick that was very gore horror based you know Uh, he would he would take a butcher knife and he'd put it through his arm or he would I think at one point he like decapitates someone and their arms and hands are moving. Like it's all, you look at it now and it's very, it's very steeped in 80s, like special effects. Yeah. But it's fantastic. It's fantastic. That connection just so seamlessly went together. And then you fast forward a few years and you have like, you know, Kirk Hammett from Metallica has got his Fear Fest Evil Festival. And uh, Phil Ensemble from uh, Pantera and um, Down. Has his house of hardcore film and music festival, and it's just it's just this easy this seamless connection between heavy and particularly like heavy metal, yeah, uh, or heavy or heavy rock or you know music dark music, and uh, and horror and the horror genre it's very very easily connected and I think even if you look back at some of the fears of the eighties when horror sort of reached its fever pitch, and and you had like Tipper Gore leading the the charge for censorship on these these metal albums that were going to corrupt the youth of america you can kind of see the connection there between you know we talked about in a previous episode how horror movies represent our uh, society's inner fears you could see why there's a connection between that and and heavy rock and metal music
1: oh yeah especially when you're talking about artists like iron maiden you know a lot of these uh a lot of these bands every song is like a mini a mini horror film that they're Absolutely. describing uh, Glenn Danzig did a lot of that kind of kind of work. Uh, Alice right. Cooper,
0: and in fact, Danzig's got he's he's directing his first film. Uh, it might be an editorial now. Had some friends that worked on it.
1: Oh, speaking of that, I mean that reminds me, Rob Zombie. I don't think we have any of his oh, films yeah. on the list. But so before we even get started, honorable mention, Rob Zombie, because absolutely, his, 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 I mean his music videos led the way to his filmmaking, and uh, yeah, and he's got a lot of. I mean the soundtracks in a Rob Zombie horror film are so important to the, the scenery. Like, I, I still... Uh, Was it uh, Greg Allman, Midnight Rider?
0: Yeah, 100%. I, I
1: still can't hear that song without thinking about, you know, that outlaw scene in the beginning of uh, Devil's Rejects.
0: Well, you go go to the end of Devil's Rejects, and you have uh, Leonard Skynyrd's Freebird.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. While well, they're all getting shot up by the police.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not to mention a, an original work like a pussy licker from House of Thousand Corpses.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and somehow... I believe he's working on a sequel now. It's The Devil's Rejects, even though they, yeah. we watched them all get uh, murdered by police in the end. I guess they survive right. that. somehow. I, I
0: don't know. I have no... I don't know anything about the plot. Um, my friend Jamal was the accountant on that movie. Shout out to Jamal. And um, he said... I mean, he didn't give it... I didn't ask, and, I, and he didn't give anything away about what the plot of it is. So I have no concept on how they bring these three back. I don't know if they come back from hell, which would be... which As the title would, in, uh, would infer, or if somehow they survived the the mass gun down, but I'm super excited about it because I know Rob Zombie tends to get a lot of flack from people, um, traditional filmmakers The the tastemakers tend to look down on this yeah. more Southern fried style of horror film. But, you know, I think we've talked about this numerous times in the past, the stuff that he works on, it pushes the envelope, but maybe it doesn't always work for everyone, but you, you can never accuse him of being boring.
1: Yeah. He's, he just makes it fun. No matter what he doesn't, he doesn't care if the characters aren't realistic, you know. I mean, if they talk like cartoon characters and they act up, I mean, who's to say that's not realistic? I don't know mass murderers that live in their right. weird little ranches with their family that, and they're all named after Charlie Chaplin characters. I've I've never met any like that, anyone like that in my life. So maybe they would talk like that while they're uh, stabbing you and stuff. And I'm gonna say, you know, that your idea of them coming back from hell. If there are any three characters in, uh, you know, horror cinema that sh- should gain enough favor with the devil that maybe he give him a little, you know, a little key to the back door. It, it should be them. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. 100%. Yeah. So oh. we're super excited about that. And so that's that should definitely be an honorable mention in terms of like rock and heavy metal horror films that, that you know, exemplify what makes both genres work so well.
1: Yeah. I'm just looking forward to more uh, Captain Spaulding.
0: Yes. Sid Hague,
1: that's my man. <laughs> that's going to be fun.
0: Uh, so I got a couple of other honorable mentions that I wanted to throw out there. Um, one of them, again, a, a oft-referenced f- uh, film in, on the podcast, which is uh, Prince of Darkness. With oh, its yeah. inclusion of Alice Cooper. Yep. Uh, who is just one of my favorite rock singers uh, anyway. But uh, his inclusion in that film just makes the film that much creepier. I think um, George A. Romero's Bruiser which oh, had, yeah, had the misfits it, in it even had the misfits in it. And I was actually going to yeah, talk about right. the misfits too. Like, you know, the misfits sort of gained notoriety for being a horror punk band. You know, they pulled, they pulled imagery from horror films and sci-fi films, especially in their first inc- incarnation and used that to sort of fuel their songs imagery, right. So a lot of their music is about violence in the world. And, and, um, you know, especially with their, with their album earth AD they, they they moved into sort of a thrash punk genre of sound, and that influenced bands like Metallica and Megadeth and Pantera and all those sort of you know Slayer, all those heavy thrash bands obviously drew influence from the Misfits, who who themselves drew uh, influence from horror films. So that that connective tissue just continues onward. Um, and then and then there's another film that that might seem a little bit outlandish in terms of uh, connecting it to heavy heavy metal or heavy rock and that's uh, repo the genetic opera okay which which is just it's just bombastic it's wild the, the premise is kind of simplistic and you've seen it in sci-fi before the you know see corporations have gotten so big that they now you know rent out organs that you need to survive so your eyes or your liver or heart whatever and if you're not able to pay the exorbitant fees then they send repo out there to forcefully take them back from you
1: all right what uh shoot why why don't we get started what have you got on your list
0: all right so i'm going to start with my number one well no in no particular order the first one on my list is um kiss meets the phantom of the park in 1978 from gordon heiser's it's it's everything that you love and hate about kiss in one made for tv special Um, A lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of members of the KISS army kind of looked down on this film. Certainly the critics didn't like it, but it's got KISS with superpowers and special talisman that give them these superpowers. It's got an evil inventor who has a robot Gene Simmons and who is uh, upset because all his animatronics in this uh, California amusement park uh, are being underappreciated because KISS is coming to do a concert. And uh, because he feels underappreciated, feels like his work is not being recognized anymore, uh, in lieu of this cool heavy rock metal band coming into town, he decides to get revenge, and to make Kiss look bad so that he can uh, get more attention. So, it's it's equal parts cheesy and dumb, and schlocky in every way that makes you know things that are involved Kiss, uh, be. Uh, it was actually produced by Hanna Barbera, so that should tell you sort of the level of seriousness that this film had.
1: That is interesting because they recently, they had that kiss and uh, Scooby-Doo mashup cartoon. And so that makes me, I mean, with the uh, amusement park elements, uh, all this stuff, it makes me wonder if like, maybe back in the day, this script started as a possible Scooby-Doo episode. And then it it feels like like it. Yeah. I don't know if the kids are ready for, for kiss and Scooby-Doo together. Let's just do a kiss movie.
0: Yeah. Now
1: last year, they finally we'd grown up enough that they were like, oh, we'll make that Scooby-Doo thing right. again.
0: It's basically a Scooby-Doo caper, you know, and that's showcase uh, our, ourselves with cool superpowers and, you know, in, in the real world. But
1: well, You know, they, I mean, I'm not sure they don't have special powers. Have you seen that recent uh, <laughs> concert footage uh, where uh, Paul Stanley's hair catches on fire and he just plays through it?
0: I did see that. I did see that. <laughs> that's incredible. That's pretty, man. pretty damn impressive. Now, I think, I think we have to give a little caveat. I I don't know if that is actually Paul Stanley's real hair any longer, and I don't know if that's Paul Stanley's actual voice any longer. Bro, however, way, there's a fire however, on the
1: man's head.
0: If there if there were ever if there were ever to be a scene that encapsulates the term uh, "courage under fire," yeah, <laughs> it Literally. would be this moment
1: underneath a fire. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying, man. There's a fire burning on the dude's head, and he's just like. I got to play you. music for these people. We're not stopping.
0: That's, and that's I, and I
1: think he's still singing. It's Paul Stanley. He, uh, well, maybe I'm wrong. Uh,
0: so, Matt, what's on what's on your list of uh, heavy metal rock uh, horror films?
1: Let's see. Uh, we'll, well, you did a Phantom movie, so I'll do a Phantom movie. Uh, have you ever heard of a film right. called Phantom of the Paradise?
0: I have not, no.
1: It's a uh, basically a 70s glam rock version of Phantom of the Opera and oh. i love it it's uh, <laughs> a brian de palma film he's uh he's, oh. he's done some real movies like carrie and um movies you've heard well untouchables i mean he's done a lot of, yeah, casualties of, of war. great films but uh, um uh,
0: starface
1: is that, uh, yeah of course i know that <laughs> <laughs> so uh in this film uh a uh a guy named uh, i think his name's winslow or something what's his name i got a little thing here yeah winslow yeah he's He's a songwriter, and he's written a uh, this huge score, uh, a whole um, opera, really, about uh, Faust, you know, the uh, the guy that sold his soul to the devil for fame. You know, the, the original was that uh, Gote uh, uh, story. He's, nice. he's turned it into music, and he thinks it should be performed at the Paradise, the biggest club in town, where all the... All the hot new music is, is being played. You know they've got the biggest stage in the audience, and he's that's the perfect venue for his Faust. Right. And um, but it's kind of a glam rock venue, you know. And this Winslow, he's he's a traditional guy. So um, anyway, he brings it to Swan, the owner of the Paradise, who may be Satan. And oh. um, so some accident happens. Uh, Swan ends up stealing the music, and Winslow gets horribly injured and makes this really cool kind of robotic bird helmet thing. Uh, nope. <laughs> it's okay. <fun>. Yeah. <laughs> and then he starts haunting the paradise. And as a uh, swan is giving, you know, pages from uh, Winslow's score to uh, some of his glam rock acts that play there regularly, uh, whenever anybody plays his music, uh, horrible accidents happen. And uh, some people are saying they've seen a, a phantom character around, you know. So it's it's right. kind of a Phantom of the Opera horror thing. Uh, and, oh, and there is this one singer, played by Jessica Harper. Uh, you may not recognize the name, but she's great. She she's actually in a, another film I'm going to be talking about in a minute. Great singer, and and so she's the only one that has been able to sing. The uh, songs without a horrible accident happening to her, and so maybe there is some okay. kind of love thing going on there. Oh, uh, all right. I mean, it's family opera, dude, but it's but it's guys in makeup and glam rock, and uh, oh, and Paul Williams. Do you recognize that name? Um, Paul Williams. He he. You've seen his work. You've heard his songs. You might even recognize him if you saw him. He's uh, this songwriter that was in scores for all these movies in the seventies. I mean, he's like like Rainbow Connection uh, from the Muppet movie. You know, yeah, everybody yeah, loves okay. that song. That's Paul Williams. And um he he was on screen a few times and this is this is one of the few films where he actually has a lead role. He's the evil uh devil owner of the paradise. Okay. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's it's uh totally ridiculous, but um yeah, the music's great and uh it's uh yeah, it's a real real 70s, 70s film. It's it's worth a watch for sure.
0: Well, that's one of the things that I think people tend to forget about heavy metal and heavy rock music is that it's incredibly theatrical. I mean, it's, it's so rooted in it. If you look at, again, we talked about Kiss, obviously, but even Black Sabbath, you know, taking their name from a movie. And, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, certainly as you got into like, you know, we were talking about Iron Maiden and all those bands, like they're highly, highly theatrical. So the, 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 loose, the connection between a, an actual stage play and um and heavy metal or glam rock that makes perfect sense to me
1: oh yeah yeah and this this film might have been one of the i mean probably not but hey who knows it might have been one of the like you know kind of liaisons between the glam rock and hair metal right thing it's right there around that around that time period as it's starting to you know get a little more motley crew and a little less uh you
0: know t-rex that's right that's right well you're talking about uh, someone who may or may not be the devil, and I, uh, my next film has to do with that sort of very same thing, which is uh, the '80s film Black Roses. I'll tell you, Let me let me just set the tone for you for this movie.
1: All right, I'm all listening. right.
0: Now you've seen. I assume that you've seen a lot of '80s movies in your time.
1: I and, I, w- I used to have a VCR in the '80s, and I put mm, movies in it.
0: Yeah, all right. Well, yeah. and I bet you some of those movies even had a DeLorean.
1: You know, there was one that I think I could think of, a pretty yeah. famous movie, but I can't remember the name right now.
0: But let me ask you a question, Matt. Have there ever, has there ever been a movie that in the opening title sequence, there was not one DeLorean? There were two DeLoreans.
1: Did they? What? They like just, they just drive time across screen. And no, one no, one's no, going no. to the past and one's going to the future?
0: No, no. Don't even need a time travel just to be cool.
1: Just driving not Just even driving a spaceship man. not wow okay no. right, yeah
0: so that's... so that's so let me tell you when you're watching the opening sequence of Black Roses and you see not one but two DeLoreans drive by your screen as this very 80s sort of title of Black Roses pops up all sparkling and you know it, it, early mid 80s uh, CGI graphics it it, t- it tells you everything you need to know about this film basically the premise of the film is that there's a heavy metal band that people love They've never toured. They've only ever played in the studio, and they decided to do their first ever concert in this tiny little town. And of course, all the young people in that town are pretty excited. This is this movie came out in nineteen eighty eight, but it feels like it came out like in nineteen eighty three in terms of like effects and look and feel and DeLoreans. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, the a
1: throwback all the way to eighty
0: three. Throw throw way back, way back. <laughs> yeah, Lead yeah, going,
1: going <laughs> Did you, no, no, you no, did you mean to say 83 yeah. like you oh, said
0: eighty eight, eighty three. did you mean to say 63 no man <laughs> i meant 83 <laughs> that was a definitely that was, listen batman came out in 89 think about what that looked like and then you go watch this movie and you'll be like yeah that's an 83 that's a, that's an 83 gem <laughs> so uh look the premise of the movie is that this band ends up this the lead singer of this band is called damien and he he may or may not be the devil and he's decided to come to this small town to corrupt the, the whole town and the young people and become demons. And they listen to this music. Uh, it's cheesy as all hell. Like at one point uh, during the concert, the the singer takes off his wig and he's got like he turns into this like demon faced guy, which kind of looks like Bebop from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but with like an eighties feathered hair mullet. If you can imagine Be- that.
1: Bebop was the warthog.
0: Yeah, he was a warthog, kind of yeah. like a. He's got, got a little bit of like – you took Bebop and uh, – what was that creepy character from Masters of the Universe? Kind of had a skull face but with the big hair, little. Remember that guy?
1: Oh, are you talking about the uh, Masters of the Universe movie?
0: The movie, yeah.
1: Um, I do remember him. Yeah, yeah. his, his face was too small for his hair.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you took, like, yeah. you took Bebop and that guy and you kind of you had some like uh some bon joviesque hair on it and that's basically what the lead singer looks like Damien looks like when he unveils his like final demon appearance
1: that sounds awesome
0: it it's it's perfect 80s cheese and again this is one of those films where like it's a good ride it's a good time you know like like all great heavy metal in the 80s and and glam rock in the 80s it was just a, it was a fun ride you know turn your brain off and just Hop on for an hour and a half.
1: Just hop hop in the DeLorean and go all the way back to nineteen eighty three. That's
0: right. That's right. That's why they put the DeLoreans in there, because you're actually doing time travel.
1: <laughs> that's true. Well I, <laughs> but, uh, I hear that uh, whenever two DeLoreans cross paths, um, that's the center that's how you find the center of the universe at any any that, given that, day. That, if two DeLoreans cross paths, right. you're you're that's right there. You're in the center. The,
0: the nexus of the universe is at that point. Yeah. Um, What makes this film cool is a couple things. Uh, It had music from King Cobra, Tempest, Hollow's Eve, Lizzie Borden. And um, I actually have a slight connection to this film. One of my really good friends, Bianca Apice, who is a fantastic makeup and special effects artist out here in Los Angeles. Her dad is Carmine Apice, who drummed for a lot of major bands and who was actually one of the drummer and songwriters for the music of the band within the film, Black Roses. I'm going to
1: have to check it out, man. I'm going to lead into that with a film that also uses a lot of practical effects because this film is by a uh, team that almost exclusively does horror films. And it's the Troma team, you know, Kaufman and his crew. They've been at it for a long time now. And um, back in uh, 2006, they put out another one of their famous musicals. You know, they've done so a lot of good ones. Uh, Right, right. Cannibal the musical was a great one. Comes to mind. Fantastic. Uh, so, Poultrygeist is uh, it was a it was a bold new franchise. They were they got this idea of what if you built a fried chicken restaurant chain on top of a Indian burial ground at the same time that aliens were invading. That's, I mean, that's what if that, what would happen?
0: That, that's one of the questions that keeps me up at night.
1: Yes, and it's your first day at your new job. Your manager is pretty cool. He's played by Lloyd Kaufman, and he and there's all kinds of fun songs being sang uh, the whole time, and and that's what Poultrygeist: Night of the Chicken Dead is. It okay. is um, it's just a good time. It's like uh, you know, if you like zombies, but you like um them to have a uh, you know chicken chicken faces as well, and feathers. Um, it's I don't want to give too much away. I mean, I don't want to do a lot of spoilers but uh a mop does go through a man's mouth and out his ass before nice. he transforms into a chicken monster film is is awesome it's full of that you know that kind of practical effects trauma uh artistry that they do it's just a big mess it's crazy as hell and the songs are hilarious man uh revenge truly is a dish best served deep fried you'll find that out you watch <laughs> Poultry Guys, night of the chicken dead
0: nice trauma trauma to me is one of those i mean james gunn uh, director of guardians of the galaxy and the great horror film slither and yeah there's such uh, a was, the, was the superhero film that he did
1: oh um, uh, guardians of the galaxy you just said no, no
0: no 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 the other one he did another, another oh, one with the uh, rain one wilson, with, uh, Ryan wilson. with
1: rain wilson yeah uh is this super i think it's just called super yeah that was a weird yeah. one for sure
0: yeah but like i think you know again it's like in the same way that heavy metal has always sort of looked been been looked down at by the tastemakers i think trauma films are very similar but the doors that they've opened for filmmakers and the, the techniques that they use i mean i know people who, who worked on like roger corman was the you know the precursor for people oh, like yeah. um yeah trauma and it's like it's like those skills they learned working for those guys they were able to carry on and some of the some of the great films that you see that are being ever done in the indie world which were always proponents from they, they came from those those factories so um, corman
1: was yeah. um rock and roll high school uh eating raul it's frankenfish got... yeah i think it's the same guy yeah great <laughs> yeah. stuff great stuff yeah exactly um, and just while we're talking about trauma i just want to you know, there's uh, they got Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare shitstorm. That's if it's not out yet, it's coming out soon. <laughs> that's the latest one. It just I don't I even hope... know what it's about, but just what's been going on on Lloyd Kaufman's uh, Instagram feed. Oh, wow. I'm looking forward to it.
0: I hope Ben Affleck's in it. Yeah,
1: he's not. But it'd that's be like a
0: right. nice, it'd be like a nice spiritual successor to uh, Shakespeare in Love, Shakespeare shitstorm. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with
1: that. Uh, you know what? He's uh, Kevin Smith's making a new uh, Silent, uh, Jay and Silent Bob film. I'll bet we see old Affleck yes. show up in that.
0: I so, hope you know, he'll,
1: so. He'll be around. I'm sure. Kevin Smith, of course, the creator of the uh, Oscar award winning Tusk, uh, Tusk, one of, fav- which, one of the favorites of this podcast. It's uh, I absolutely. Think, it, I think It's been mentioned in every episode so far. So I just want to keep. That I that think that going.
0: should. Be, I think that should be a thing. I think we should just continuously mention Tusk until people realize so, certain certain arts. Like, listen, Mozart died penniless and alone. You know, it wasn't until much later that people recognized his brilliance. And I think that if we just give it enough time, if we hop in our DeLorean and we fast forward a few years in the future, people will start to realize that the, the majesty that is Kevin Smith's Tusk.
1: Uh, well, I'm going to need uh, some time as well, because
0: we'll uh, <laughs> just leave it at that. <laughs> just go back and watch, man. Just give it a chance. Just look into it. <laughs> um, so my, the next film on my list is, uh, I have to give a, a little bit of a, this is not tr- Michael Daughtry's Trick or Treat, Trick or Treat with the R, um, the vignette where they had Sam, the little guy with the, with the pumpkin head. This is, this is a, an older film, an 80s film, Trick or Treat, that had uh, cameos from both Ozzy Osbourne, a surprisingly coherent Ozby, Ozzy Osbourne as a reverend on TV, and uh, Gene Simmons, who plays Duke, the local radio host. Whoa. Kind of a throwback Ozzy
1: Osbourne as a reverend on TV—that sounds so familiar.
0: Yeah, I might have, have you seen this, this? one. Uh, he's maybe. got blonde—he's got blonde hair, kind of blondish yeah. hair. Like this, is like and it's kind of like pulled back and slicked down. So he's, you know, he's in a suit and he's got his hair sort of parted. I'm sure they just pulled the long, long part of it back and tied it off or something. Um, I had never heard of this film before, and uh, I may have seen the clip of Ozzy, but I, I had never seen the film before. And uh, it was recently my girlfriend's birthday. And for her birthday, her and her friends, they're all metalheads. She's got a, an Instagram page where she talks about like veganism and metalness all kind of slammed into one uh, called the Satanist, which spelled like a, the food, S-E-I-N-T-I-S-T. Oh, okay. but, um, but they got together and they decided to have some some Don, Don Julio and horror and they watched Trick or Treat, and she was telling me about it, and I said, "This sounds amazing." So I went back and watched, and um, this, like I said earlier, like previously, uh, Repo, which got an honorable mention, was on this list. And then when I went back and I started watching stuff and reading about Trick or Treat, I was like, "No, nope, this one's got to join on there." I mean, not only do you have, you know, two rock icons in Gene Simmons, who is on two movies on my list, mind you, but. But Ozzy at his peak, you know, right in the, right in the core when you could still understand him, pre ozborns pre sort of Buffoon Ozzy. This is like most dangerous man on earth, Ozzy, biting heads yes. off bats and stuff, playing a reverend. Um the the premise of the film, again, like all 80s films, is kinda of simple. It's a little moralistic. Basically, I feel, I feel like this film must have arose from the sort of satanic panic and, and heavy metal panic of the eighties. Uh, there is a there's a young boy in a small town, as these films tend to be set in, called Eddie, who's a big fan of this rock legend, Sammy Kerr's, and uh, one day he finds out that his, his his favorite singer, his rock legend, dies in a mysterious fire, he's all bummed out, so he goes and hangs out with Duke, the local re- radio host, played by Gene Simmons, and in an effort to cheer the kid up, Duke gives him an advanced copy of Sammy Kerr's final album, which is to be played on halloween at midnight so eddie goes home he puts his album on and lo and behold sammy kurz arrives and he starts to speak to him and he finds out that eddie's been picked on and bullied at school and so sammy sort of acts as his guardian angel teaching him how to get back at these kids and stand up for himself but it gets a little dark and and the things that sammy's trying to get eddie to do are pretty violent and uh sadistic so you know, then you start to realize that in fact Sammy has has transported his soul into this cassette tape, into this album, and uh, he's trying to break free so he can unleash hell on earth.
1: Yeah, that sounds like everything my parents thought would happen if I listened to rock music as a kid. That's
0: that's exactly it, and I think that I think the inclusion of Ozzy and Gene they must have been very aware that this film was sort of poking fun it's in some ways of like what people especially like because they said it in sort of middle america like what people like your parents in middle america must have thought when their kids were listening to this rock music that the album that sammy kurz puts out is uh songs in the key of death yeah Uh, here's the part that kind of is both exciting and also kind of bums me out which is uh the character of sammy was supposed to originally be played by blacky lawless from wasp Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know why it didn't work out, but um, that if it, that would have probably put this at the top of the list if that would have occurred, because Wasp, in my opinion, is a highly, highly underrated band.
1: Yeah, they're not bad.
0: No, they're fucking great, man.
1: Well, you ready for the next one?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: All right, I'll give you a hint. It's a crazy kind of gender-bending rock and roll musical.
0: Okay, all right. The two lead uh, characters
1: are named Brad, oh, Janet. Yes, I think uh, you know what I'm talking about?
0: I I, I would assume that you were uh, you selected a Rocky Horror Picture Show.
1: Well, you are wrong.
0: No, oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know there is a sequel, my man. To Rocky Horror oh. Picture Show, is there now? That's right. Richard O'Brien. He played, uh, was it, Riff Raff in the original yeah. film? Yeah, uh, and wrote Rockwood. all the music. Yeah, uh, he wrote all the music, wrote the story. He's brilliant. Uh, and he's in some of your favorites. He's uh, he's in Dark City. We've, we've talked about yeah. that one on the show before. Yeah, I awesome love that, that. one. Uh, well, he um, got this idea for um, a little follow-up, you know, Brad and Janet, they were engaged right, in right. Rocky Horror. Well, what, what was uh, married life like for them? And so mm. this one tells the story of... Um, Brad and Janet are living in this, uh, this little town where the TV station has been getting bigger and bigger and it's sort of taken over the whole town and uh, everything is a show. The hospital is, it's a, is a little drama. Uh, the grocery mm. store is a game show. It's like every, everywhere you go, you're in a show. And the, uh, the head of the TV station wants Janet majors uh, played by Jessica Harper, the same lead from fan of the pair. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: So no, no, Susan no, no, no.
1: No, no, Susan Sarandon and uh, yeah, and uh, the other guy. I, I'm that's. Whew, I'm gonna get in some trouble with the Rocky Horror fans here, but no, it's um, it's the actor in this one playing Brad. You'd you'd recognize him as some TV actor, but okay, uh, yeah. Um, it, Richard O'Brien does return. Uh, some a lot a lot of the other uh, Nell. What's her name from uh, Rocky Horror? She comes back. Uh, so
0: so not so not Barry Bosnick.
1: No, Barry Bosnick's not there. No. Yeah, he's oh, replaced wow. with some other guy. Like I said, you recognize him from, like, 80s TV and movies. Uh, but um, it's uh, it's a weird one. But it's the, the music is it's on the level with Rocky Horror. It's pretty good, man. Richard O'Brien didn't lose it. I mean, it's, it's pretty much just, like, his second album is the way I look at it, you know. And and you get some fun footage and some weird shit going on. But uh, it's, like, uh, it's, it's a cool concept because this idea of, like, a, a whole town that's on TV... And it's not like right. in a reality TV show kind of way. This is the '80s, so they're you know they're not that didn't exist back then, you know. So they're kind of um, imagining. It's it's weird. It's almost like he wrote it for the stage, uh, okay. but it, it it's a it's a great movie. And I mean, it's not a great movie. It's that's an exaggeration. But the music <laughs> is definitely great. The performances are amazing, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, you know, and and and, you, and there's some tense moments as. Brad is trying to rescue Janet from the evil TV station that's trying to kidnap her. And I don't know if this counts as a horror. I mean, I'm pretty sure it doesn't, but, uh, you know, it's from the Rocky horror guys. So right. we it gotta, gets we gotta include it. Yeah.
0: And, and it's, it's one of those films that it has developed a different kind of cult status than Rocky horror, right? Like it's real, it, it's a B it has side. No
1: cult status, my man. <laughs> like <I know laughs> what talks about Procter, but It's like, it's like, um, Rocky horror fans don't necessarily like it either. Right, uh, right. It's it's just not the same vibe at all. Richard you, you know how I mean that's how it goes, man. You get like guys like you know, artists from the from the seventies, you know, when they get into the eighties, they're like, I'm gonna try something different. Right. And um uh, Motley Ma- Crue's uh,
0: yeah, Molly Cruz Generation Swine esque.
1: Uh, maybe. I mean, the music, I, I think it's the same vibe. I mean, I just think Richard okay. O'Brien's really cool. And so, anything yeah. he does, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll check it out. You know, he's great.
0: I'm going to make the argument that it, it is a metal movie because it's the kind of movie, it's like when you go to that local record shop and you see the guy, the long-haired dude behind the behind the counter. And, you know, he he's at every metal show, but he's kind of a snob. And he's like, do you want to listen to some real metal? He takes you to the back and he finds you some B-side of some obscure German metal band. And you put it on, and you're not really sure if you like it or not, but it's good, but it's not exactly a fan favorite. That shock treatment. Yeah,
1: exact. I've been, I had the exact same spirit, experience at a record store in Astoria, um, uh, pretty on a vacation recently, where I was just like, nice. uh, we, we'd heard about this all heavy metal record shop, and we're like, nice. Dude, we gotta check this out, me and my girlfriend. So we, we uh, took the detour, you know, headed out to Astoria, and which is a beautiful little seaside town. And we're just like searching around for the record shop, and uh, we we walk into this place, man, and it's like, it's basically a head shop with some VHS tapes, some vintage porno, and about thirty records, but they were all metal, every single. Right. Time. All right. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> and I was just like, dude, I I have to buy records from you. Like, give me stuff. And it was it was yeah. that exact same experience. I got something that was like dragon fighter yeah, dragon in the title hand-painted record sleeve british dudes from the 70s i'm pretty happy with it but i don't remember what it's called so (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's that's even more metal i guess
0: that that pretty much you just summed up what my retirement plan is (laughs) (laughs) all right so the next the next film on my list is one again that we've talked about a bunch so obviously it's a favorite of mine uh it is new zealand's own deathgasm
1: oh yeah yeah fun movie
0: uh fantastic movie we've talked about it a bunch but it's great it totally sums up not only not only is it connected to to heavy metal on some and to rock and, and in the in the same way that say a trick-or-treat or, Treat or a black roses does but i think what makes this film so great is that it sums up what it feels like to be a metalhead in a town that doesn't get it you know yeah uh and, and 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 similar to to sammy kerr being released by an evil tape or um you know in black rose where you where the the, the demonic band is turning people into demons based on their music that uh, deathgasm kind of takes both those elements and it sort of combines them uh, these metalheads find the sheet music from some obscure band and they start playing it to, to as trying to be cool you know trying to get girls to like them and trying to be sort of someone in this town and they start playing this riff and it makes them all pass out. And then they've unleashed this sort of demonic force on earth, a little bit of an evil dead element to it. But you know, the, the, the the allusion to, uh, you know, black metal and, and mm-hmm. there's a little there's a little bit of nod to kiss as well the drummer has everyone in the band is they're doing band photos and they're everyone's dressed in sort of corpse paint you know for those who are not familiar it's sort of that white and black face paint that bands like mayhem and all those black metal bands did but then the drummer comes and he's got like a he's got peter crisp uh, oh, makeup yeah. on you know? <laughs> <laughs> they're yeah, quite getting the it wrong there. kind of
1: corpse right or whatever. right right yeah.
0: um but you That's you were, we were making it we were making the joke earlier right that kiss looks a certain way but they sound different yeah and that sort of summed up in this one scene
1: exactly yeah. so
0: um you know they it, you basically got to battle the forces of demonic evil with the power of black you know good black metal earthly black metal metal that comes from your soul in order to defeat the evil sources it's great it's fantastic it's funny it's gory as hell it's you could tell it's a it's hugely influenced by the Evil Dead series, um, and all the fun, gory madness that comes from them. And um, if we haven't talked about it enough, I think if you're looking for a film that says that that you know, because of all, a lot of the films that are on our list are older films, you know. And yeah. one of the things that we sort of joked about is like we're trying to make we're trying to make horror metal again. Uh, Deathgasm is one of those films. It's really kind of putting itself out there and putting heavy metal on the forefront. And I'm and I'm hoping that. Um, between a movie like a Deathgasm, and then you know, uh, whatever you may think of it, Lords of Chaos, or even uh, Motley Crue's The Dirt, I'm kind of hoping that heavy metal makes a little bit of a resurgence in not only horror films but in cinema in general.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, uh, like we talked about that before. It really shows that what it feels like to, for for some people, uh, I know a lot. Yeah. I will say it's a controversial film among the. Uh, you know black metal community because it's De-
0: deathgasm or doors of chaos deathgasm
1: cuz okay it, really it, yeah it has got this like uh it's like a happy people movie man it's like it's like people you know they're nice and they're they like metal and it's like fun right. and uh i think some you know some black metal dudes out there just just a little too cool for that man it can't be you well, know they can't be seen t- smiling while they listen to music what
0: well i'll tell you this so um I think that we we talked, we reviewed Lords of Chaos a few episodes back and and my girlfriend just recently watched it and she was like, yeah, it wasn't that good. I'm like, here's the thing that I have found with with people who have watched Lords of Chaos and and it sounds like it's very similar with Deathgasm. Sometimes people who like black metal take themselves just a little bit too seriously.
1: Yeah. They just, they need it too much. Like they're, you know, it's like, uh, and often there'll be people like us who, are, you know, like me and you, we, who have been bullied and stuff, and yeah. it's like, this is how I find my edge, man. This crazy, yeah, right. abrasive sound, it's why you shouldn't mess with me, you know? And it's, yeah, it's uh, but, it's, it's but, not all about T-shirts and Hot right. Topic.
0: <laughs> sure, sure, man, I get it. But listen, listen, in the sa- and this is the same way I felt about Lord's Chaos. A couple, I've had a couple of different people say, like, what's the point of it? The point is, is it exposes what, what black metal and metal is, man, it's just fun. It's just fun, you know? And yeah, it's dark music and yeah, it taps into a raw part of yourself that you maybe need to express. And maybe there's a lot of anger there and maybe there's a lot of sorrow there. And maybe there's an, an, uh, an interest in the dark arts and what have you. But at the end of the day, it's just a place to have fun because a lot of it is cheesy as fuck.
1: Well, I mean, corpse, uh, corpse that...
0: paint is cheesy as fuck. I'm sorry. If you're yeah, walking no. around, you know, like <laughs> it's rad. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about it, but uh, but you know you gotta you gotta kind of understand what you're buying into there. There's a little bit of cheese factor.
1: Well, De- Deathgasm's got that scene where um, all the kids are out in the woods, like shooting their music video on yes. their mom's camera, <laughs> and it's like, hey, black like,
0: metal—that
1: is your scene. Like, it you is. Know, like, yeah, maybe like three percent of you guys out there are actually like edge lords that are kind of crazy, but. It's kids making music videos with their mom's steady cam, like, out in the yeah, woods. Like, that's but you know what? near, near that, their suburbs.
0: That, you know, that 3% that are actually fucking nuts and, and like, you know, again, referencing the Mayhem guys and that, that scene. They were actually going out there burning churches and committing murders. That, that's not cool. That part's no, not of cool. Not. Those yeah, guys we'll suck. <laughs> Those guys are idiots.
1: Grindhouse no, podcast man. does not support burning we're churches a, and murdering we're, people.
0: No. Not cool. No. No. It's not cool at all. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I
1: don't want to sound too insane clown posse here. But like, if you want to kill someone, man? Do it with your lyrics. If that's you want right. to burn down a church, do it with your lyrics. <laughs> all right. And we've, we've hit a new low, so let's move on to the next <laughs> one. I'm going to go right back to my man, Takashi Mike, who I've talked about okay. before on yep. this show. Big he fan. Is, he, he wears many hats. He's all over the place. Sometimes he's drama. Sometimes he's a horror film that's going to disturb you for weeks. But... In this instance, he's a musical guy. He wrote himself a little musical about a family that moves out to the country, you know, to be free and have fun. I mean, imagine that, you know, imagine you're so tired of city life, you know, and you got your kids and you're worried about how they're growing up and you get this opportunity to open a bed and breakfast out in the country and move the whole family out there. Maybe the kids aren't too excited about it yet, you know, but they'll come around, and once they get out there and they see the place that you're living at, you know it's it's beautiful, man. And 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 they they start is they start taking to it, and everybody starts singing songs about how wonderful it is living in the country. Nice, and you get this nice. real kind of sound of music vibe, you know, kind of partridge family ish. It's a lot of fun because until you have your says first guest, and he mm-hmm. dies, and then your second guest dies that night, and your third guest, and everybody that stays at the Katakura's bed and breakfast. Somehow dies, <laughs> and not wanting to get bad reviews for the bed and breakfast, the family has to hide the corpses, and while well, singing. Well, okay,
0: about but it, why? Course. But why? Why are they dying, though? It's
1: All kinds of plays. reasons. I mean, wh- one is a uh, famous sumo wrestler. So you know they're really excited about him coming to visit. So he comes to spend the night because he thinks it's it's the perfect place to escape with a prostitute and not be seen because he's kind of a famous guy, right? Well, of course, as it goes, you know, these sumo wrestlers, they have to have a certain body type and there are certain risks associated with that body type. So he has a heart attack that night while having sex with a prostitute. And um, the family comes in to bring him breakfast the next morning and finds his corpse there on the bed and it smells and it's horrible. And of course, when they finally managed to get this huge corpse off the bed, there's a crushed hooker underneath it. Oh. And that kind of sets the pace for the whole film. I mean, <laughs> and they're singing about it the whole time. It's it's a full-on musical, and it's a blast, man. You're going to love it. Yeah, check out Happiness of the Katakuras by Takashi Mike.
0: So so my next film, again, uh, this is the last film of my entry, last entry on my list, rather, is... You know, maybe might, might it's a little bit different than the other the other movies I've listed. There's no direct musical element to this film, but I think the connection to heavy metal and to uh, death metal and black metal is so uh, obvious that's undeniable. And that is Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Right on. I mean, everything about the Cenobites is fucking metal. Yeah. You know, down to the I was just listening. I was watching some clips from it again. And I think I'm putting it on today while I do some work and cleaning around the house. I was listening to uh, just Pinhead's voice, you know. That's a metal voice. I mean, that's a that's a. He's basically the lead singer of the Cenobites.
1: Yeah, they look like a wicked ass band when you see right? them. It's like I, I don't even know what they would like. Maybe the chatter would be on the keys, but I could see it, man.
0: Yeah, you know, you got the you got the cool leathers and like the bo- sort of the bondage inspired look and. Um, you know, you start looking at bands like, again, we mentioned Cradle Filth earlier or, or Behemoth, and you start looking at these bands. Um, man, like, they're they're clearly influenced by Hellraiser, right? That, that, that's obviously part of the aesthetic, you know, yeah, not that, just not just no, the Viking look.
1: That aesthetic, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I think Hellraiser might have been influenced, but I got to give credit to the gay community, man, for that one. Because oh, yeah, okay. if it wasn't for Rob Halford just doing, like, Leather Daddy gay biker bar style – that shit would have never made it over into metal, dude. He did that. Like he was he was a full on gay man singing for Judas Priest. Was he,
0: he wasn't he open wasn't, then. He wasn't though, open. Was
1: he? No, he wasn't open. I mean, but it was kind of looking back, it's like oh, we should have all seen that. Like, I mean, mean, all those clothes he's wearing, man. It's like, I guess people are just in denial. It's like, oh, he looks so metal, dude. The metal god's wearing his leather and all. Yeah, his his cop hat, you know, like like that leather police hat, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. All that, like, biker style he was doing, it wasn't, you know, like, Hell's Angels, man, it was no, it no was that for sure. You know? it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, and he and he did that. He brought gay style into the metal community, and the metal community still denies that that's what's happening. But y'all are dressing Indeed. like gay folks, man. That's yeah, love and, it because it's true and, that, and it's awesome.
0: Like we talked about earlier, you know, the Black Sabbath, which is for most people, they consider the godfather of heavy metal, right? It, their name, they draw, they drew their name and some of their imagery from cinema, right, from movies. Uh, you look at you look at Hellraiser and you say, okay, well, was Rob Hofford an influence on the design of the Cenobites? I think that's part of it. I think so. I definitely think that's a big part of it. I think you know, if you look at the entirety of the Hellraiser movie, it's it's basically an allegory an for or a, um, a metaphor for like the AIDS epidemic, you know, at the time and oh. it's, you know, oh, that's those,
1: that's wild. I've never seen that. Like, what? Yeah. Can you expand was, on that?
0: Yeah, so I was watching this breakdown on it and they were talking about how, like, if you look at the film, like, it's all about literally, uh, I think the character's name is Julie, right? She's trying to get, she's trying to get people to c- c- come, have people come back. So she's giving Frank back, who's got no flesh. She literally, they literally crave the flesh, you know? Um, they open Pandora's box, essentially, and in um, and, and the film, like, sex is sort of like, you know, like, help, Pinhead brings this ultimate sexual pleasure, but then it comes with a, a steep price, right? It comes with oh, yeah. to torture or death, right? And like, so this break with this breakdown kind of uh, inferred not only from uh, the Hellraiser film, but also from like a lot of the other films of that era, where like sex always led to death. Which is like, again, we talk about how horror films represent the anxieties of society, and what yeah. was what was more, more anxiety ridden than like the AIDS epidemic, you know, and the and that's wild. And,
1: and Clive Barker being a gay man, the the under, creator of Hellraiser,
0: yeah. So, and, you know,
1: so yeah, in the 80s, I mean, that was a terrifying time for the gay community with that AIDS going on and everybody. I mean, what they were uh, in the media calling it gay cancer and shit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: I could see that, man.
0: So, you have these characters, so you, it's almost like a cautionary tale, like, hey, guys, I, you know, I don't think anyone making those films was against sex in and of itself, but like, it, as it, as it's historically the case, when there's something that people don't understand, art and uh society will create art that sort of warns against the overuse of it like i was listening to a podcast that was talking about some of the historical elements in um biblical role like uh don't eat pork right right yeah why don't you eat pork well because there's a lot of diseases um associated with pork and if you don't cook pork properly it can it can lead to death some another what exactly there's another disease that comes from the stress of the ta that's escaping me at the moment um you know, same thing with shellfish. A lot of people have allergies to shellfish. Like you, you just start, looking you start taking the knowledge and the information that we have now, and you start applying them to those rules that don't make any sense in our modern era. And you start uh-huh. to realize what you probably had is a bunch of people who are like, "Hey guys, there's some people allergic to shellfish. Let's just ban shellfish. We don't want people dying on us." Oh
1: yeah. Uh, totally. Hey guys,
0: we we clearly aren't able to cook pork properly. Those people die. Let's just ban it all together because God said so, right?
1: I mean, maybe they even thought that uh, the people dying was, in a sense, the voice of God telling them you need it to stay away be. from It, so, it could be. It could be. But it's yeah.
0: certainly rooted, it's definitely rooted in a lack of understanding on how to, you know, protect oneself. And so I think if you look at the 80s movies and you look at a film like Hellraiser, um, it, it is, you know, a lot of people didn't quite understand it. And so these films are like warning people, like, hey, guys, we can't just give in to all the pleasures of the flesh because there are consequences to that.
1: Well, the victims of of the Cenobites, uh, they, they kind of are pleasure seekers, aren't they? They're the people that yeah. just can never be satisfied. They just go, go, go. You know, some of them are like military guys that after their, after their tour, they just like stay in whatever third world they were in and they just keep exploring, trying to find right. the next big thrill. And it's like that kind of lifestyle will eventually lead you to this, I guess, a gift shop or whatever sort of vendor that has this puzzle box and the... You know, yeah. here's that thing that you haven't been able to find. This is the dragon you've been chasing. It's in here, right? And, exactly. And uh, you get to meet a guy and his friends, Pinhead and the Cenobites, who um, pretty much are going to make sure you experience the full encyclopaedia Britannica of um, <laughs> of experiences. You're gonna you're gonna get, yeah. get them all. Yeah, I mean, you're it's it's a like Pokemon. Like, yeah, kind of yeah. This was wild. It's a horror movie, so they have to only show you like the torture and stuff. But yeah, I, I right. imagine like a you know a spin with Pinhead and his boys. It's like they take you through everything until you're just yeah. like a, there's nothing new ever for you to experience, and then you're one of them.
0: Right, right, and, know, that's, and, and that's
1: not in the movie. I just I like I like that movie a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I too. All right, well we, we better get on to the next one. We're getting low on time okay. here. All right. Uh, but I I'm always recommended films when we do these things that are like you're going to have to you know buy it on VHS you're going to have to order it off eBay you know Uh, (laughs) I mean and and so I I wanted to throw one on there that I actually saw on Netflix recently it's not a musical but it's like you could really feel that like you know that metal spirit in it and the soundtrack is is awesome and it keeps it going the whole time and uh, it's called Devil's Candy oh yeah oh man have you seen this one I have not no it's cool man it's like this this guy's a painter. He's kind of like a surrealist, sort of dark themed painter. He's really good. And he moves out to the country with his family. I think his wife gets a job or something. And uh, he's um, he's got this daughter that's like just adores him, dude. And like she's all into metal and stuff. And they listen to metal together. I mean, the soundtrack's got stuff like Sun O, uh, Ghost, nice. Slayer. You know, it's got some good shit on it.
0: Nice. And so recent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 2015. It's a recent one. Okay, wow. I, I said, I just, I saw it on Netflix recently and I was like, that's a, that was a good horror movie. Like that was, I was actually like, it had like some of the thriller, like suspense elements. And so you, you know, you, you don't need to be afraid of the monster because you're like worried about the characters and, it, and that's, and I think that's what good horror movies do nowadays is like, they know they're not going to scare you, you know, don't go to sleep Freddy Krueger. But like the, if they can show you some characters that you're like, these are really cool characters and then put them in danger uh, right, it, they'll get you, and th- and this one definitely did that because it's like this little girl. She's really cool, and for some reason, her dad, like he keeps getting like, it's almost like a possession, man. When he's in his studio painting, he kind of doesn't know where he's going, and he keeps making these paintings of his daughter like suffering, like seriously really? suffering, like in hell, and you know, like really. And his wife's pissed; she's not having it, you know.
0: Yeah, but I can imagine.
1: She is in danger because there's this like this like serial killer that lives in the town and he has his eye on their daughter and uh, oh, okay. it's, man, it's good. Like you got to check it out. It's just, I mean the, the cast was great. It's a lot of unknowns, but you might've seen some of these guys before, but uh, with the soundtrack and the, and that kid that plays a daughter, she was really good. I mean, it was, it was a cool movie because it was like believable. I mean, like this dude's like a metal guy and his daughter's all right. in the metal wife obviously a yuppie that's why they can afford that house and i mean you know how that goes we yeah you yeah. know we, all, we i mean us boys we get all wild and I mean, i'm not trying to be sexist or anything but like you know we, we we get a little crazy but you know sometimes your wife not as into the the, the the heavy music as you are you know but but it's still a good match and it's that kind of relationship so very realistic yeah, about it, it was really yeah
0: cool. i had one of those once then i didn't
1: I <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah anyway devil's candy really good
0: so so do you think i mean i know that we're we're in a post-rock era in in terms of like the mainstream you know rock rock heavy metal bands are just not as popular as they once were and it's kind of been replaced by rap and um do you you think that we're gonna see i mean i I mean like i said in this last year um both lords of chaos the you know biopic about the band mayhem and then netflix is The dirt which sucks um which is a biopic about <laughs> about motley Crue have kind of come out and there's like a little bit of research. but but that being said i do want to see heavy metal more in film i, I think i think that like if you look back at our list of films and you know you you, you put a certain level of lens on so that you can sort of enjoy it for what it was at that time it's a it's a cool combination it's a combination that works really well they feed each other you know and all these films have these kick-ass soundtracks we always talk about like Tarantino or Edgar Wright and the kick-ass soundtracks or James Gunn for that matter that those films have imagine a horror film with a kick-ass metal soundtrack
1: yeah well devil's candy and that's it we need more like that and, and we need and, way more I mean soundtracks are one thing but I'm <laughs> musicals too man I, I want more like I want some yeah. modern, you know musicals uh because I mean, what I'm seeing out there, I, it's still happening. I mean, Fox remade Rocky Horror Picture Show last year. I mean, oh yeah, ugh. how'd you like that? No, nah. I didn't. <laughs> I, I will say I don't this: want I want people from American Idol singing in my Rocky Horror Picture Show. Man, it was.
0: You know, like these kind of you know, metal musicals or rock musicals, rock operas, and heavy metal movies. Like, like you said earlier, like there where the freaks come to play. Well, there, there where, it is. We got to you know, get
1: this we got to get the music away from the pretty people and give it back to the freaks man that's right because that's what it, i mean that's what i saw on fox on that rocky horror picture show it was like everybody has to be absolutely beautiful or we're not doing this and you know and it, well, that, it that's just the music industry right now it's just like only good looking well, people allowed sorry
0: well that was part of my that was part of my problem with the dirt right Like you cast these young, good-looking men. Yeah, yeah. that's Not what Motley Crue look (laughs) like. With their abs and their yeah, I mean those guys were. I mean yes, of course they were good-looking dudes, but they were they were rough-looking guys at a certain point. They looked all they were all looked like drug-addled, alcoholic heroin addicts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What what you had instead, what you had, this like this real cleaned-up, pretty boy Abercrombie and Fitch version of the Motley Crue story, and same thing with the Rocky Horror remake. It was like the American Idol version. Of Rocky yeah. Horror, and it's like, like where are the where are the creepsters, you know, we're the Jeepsters, where are all the, uh, the the odds and ends outsiders of the world who who never get a chance to have a voice. Like these films that we've all yeah, mentioned, they're
1: they're hanging out with Lloyd Kaufman over at Troma Studios. That's right,
0: that's right. So we, that is,
1: I mean, that is going on, and it is great.
0: So hopefully, hopefully, we see a move in the direction of of that having more influence and less of the sort of sanitized version. Um, Cause it needs it. It needs it. The freaks need a voice. But again, which, what, what, what is the direction that we're moving into? Are we moving into a direction in which it went in the, in the few instances that we do get a, a sort of, some sort of heavy metal rock influenced film that we just we're taking it and we're cleaning it up and making it, you know, an appetite for the masses. Or are we, uh, we leaving it a little dirty, a little, a little punk, a little scuffed up and rough around the edges.
1: We'll get back there.
0: I hope so. In the meantime, here at the Grindhouse, I think uh, that we're going to just keep on doing our part to uh, make horror metal again. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Make Horror Metal Again Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and wherever all fine podcasts can be found.